Okay. Tov. We are going back to Parasha for just as a disclaimer. There is uh, seems to be a lot of demand for Parasha. So the Tehillim podcast will resume in another forum. And we're going to make sure to finish it. But in the mornings in Share Shalom at 7.20, we're going to be doing Parasha. So that by the time we get to Sunday, our Sunday class, we'll be able to complete the parashiot. These, these very, very special parashiot. We begin, as usual, at the end of Parashat Vayera, because if you want to understand Parashat Chayesara, you have to understand what happened in Parashat Vayera. We spoke yesterday about the, um, about the Akedat Yitzchak. So the parasha kind of ended, Parashat Vayera kind of ends with Akedat Yitzchak. In Pasuk Yudchet of chapter 22, the 18th verse of 22, uh, Abraham is promised that his descendants will be blessed uh, or, or all the nations of the world will be blessed through his descendants because, he listened, because you listened to my voice, because you offered Yitzhak uh, and you brought him you know, as, a, as a korban or you attempted or were thinking to bring him as a korban. And then Abraham goes back to his servants and they go and they leave. They go to Beersheba and Abraham dwells in Be'er Sheba. The only reason I'm emphasizing this is because it's going to become a little bit of a funny thing whenever we see where Sarah passes away. It's going to be one of the, the holes in our knowledge of uh, Sarah is going to end up passing away somewhere else. So we know that last we see of Abraham, he dwells in Be'er Sheba. So it's kind of confusing why Sarah lives somewhere else. Anyways, the next pasuk is kind of an introduction to the next parasha also Because we're about to hear about the lineage Of Abraham's brother Nahor right. And the lineage of Abraham's brother Nahor is, is important because From one of his sons comes Rivka right? And Rivka is going to be <clears throat> The wife of Yitzchak So the significance here of introducing us To the descendants of Nahor Is because it's preparing us for the introduction to Rivka Also because Sarah she passed away, there should be, before she passes away, there should ah, be... Ah, uh, beautiful. And before Sarah passes away, we already have the next mother who's... And it's kind of important for Yitzchak, because as we know, when, when Adam saw Chava, the Torah tells us, tells that when a person clings to their wife, they're in essence leaving their, their parents' home and building a new family for themselves. And this is kind of the process we're going to see with Yitzchak. That only once Sarah dies can Yitzchak now begin to build his own family. Correct. Right? So meeting Rivka here is important. So we have the Akedat Yitzchak, Abraham returns to Be'er Sheva, and then the next in the Mahdir, it says after these things, it was told to Abraham that Milka had sons for Nahor. He has eight sons Uts, Buz, Kumuel, Kesed, Chazo, Pildash, Idlaf, and then finally Betuel. Okay? Betuel gave birth or had Rivka. And, and, uh, and he was the youngest of the eight brothers that were the sons of Nahor. And then he also had, here. Uh, it says a, yeah, a conqueror. Yeah, I know, but who is Shalmi? Is it of Nahor or of Betuel? You see my question? I think it's Betuel. You think it's Betuel? Oh. Wait, it's probably Nahor. Nahor Abraham's brother, and his concubine, he's eight, Milka, Bor. So it's Milka. No, I think it's Nahor. Nahor. Okay, so Nahor also had a Pilegesh, she was named Reumah, and she also had Tevach, Gacham, Tachashin, Mancha. Okay, so there are 12 sons of Nahor, 
interesting number, yes, honestly. Yes, because it's like the 12 tribes. Yeah, and I don't know what the significance would be. But there are 12 sons of Nahor. One of the sons from the first wife is Bituel. He has Rivka as a daughter, which is setting the stage for the next parasha, which will be the death of Sarah. And it's important that we have the replacement for Sarah before she dies. The life of Sarah was 100 years, 20 years, 7 years, meaning 127 years. Mm -hmm. That was the life of Sarah. Now, if you want to go into the Midrash, there's a famous, famous Midrash that we all learned yes. in middle school when we were young. <laughs> the funny thing is, we only learned the Midrash according to Rashi, but Ramban... Oh, Ram this year we're going to sleep with Ramban. Yeah, we'll look at some Ramban's this year. Okay. But Ramban actually is not a fan of the Midrash. You know why? Because he says... There are like 20 other people in the Torah that their names are described like this. Yes, but and nobody, they don't, and not, and no, look, we never do a Midrash. Look, yeah, <laughs> we never did a Midrash to say that they were as beautiful as a seven-year-old or that they were as sinful as a 20-year-old. Okay, so the Midrash says that when she was 100 years old, she was like 20 with regards to sin. And when she was 20, she was like seven with her beauty. Okay? And Ramban says, yeah, but Ishmael also has a name like this. Kind of so Ishmael also, you want to do Midrash? So Ramban says that's just the, the way the, the age is described in the Torah and it's a very typical form of, of uh, describing someone's age. Pasuk Bet, Then Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Avram came to mourn for Sarah and to cry over her, right? Now, the difficulty, and the reason I introduced the our parasha with the fact that Avram dwelled in Be'er Sheva is that Suddenly, there's now it's, when it's talking all of a sudden Sarah is in Hebron. dies in Hebron. So it's a very strange thing. Why is it different? Uh, so Ramban discusses this at length. I'm not going to go, in, go into what he says, but he discusses this at length and he says, don't think that Avram and Sarah were living apart. That's not what was happening. They were moved, they probably after dwelling for some time in Beersheba, they moved to Hebron and there was a, a long period of time in between when Avram came back from the Akedah and when he went Sarah, Sarah ended up dying. He went, came back from Akedah, lived in Beersheba for many years and then eventually went back to Hebron and that's where Sarah ends up dying. Now the reason that's important to separate the time between so, the Akedat Yitzchak so, and the so, death of Sarah. So, so Sarah didn't die while they were doing Akedat. That's the point. That's the point. Once you separate the time and you say, wait, if Abraham went back to Be'er Sheva and Sarah only died when they were in Hebron, and it says that Vayeshev Abraham Be'er Sheva, meaning he lived in Be'er Sheva for, for multiple years, then it's much harder to say that Sarah died as a result Correct. of the Akedah. Then you have to make, kind of say it's probably not the Peshat. Now a lot of Midrashim say it. Yes. There are a lot of Midrashim that and talk the, about how the Sarah Satan, died. The Satan why, came and told her that uh, Yitz, Abraham, even, even there are other Midrashim that say that Yitzhak was telling Abraham, whenever you kill me, don't tell my mother because she won't be able to handle it. And one Midrash says that Yitzhak told Abraham, when, when you kill me, make sure when you tell my mother about my death, Make sure she's not standing by a roof, on a roof, or she next to a fall. window. Because she, she might faint and, and fall, right? So there are Midrashim that, that display a connection between the death of Sarah and Akedah Yitzhak. But I don't know how much of that is Peshat because of this difference in location. Okay. Ultimately, it seems like Avram moved to Hebron, which was a place he had been before. Which is, so it's not surprising. And that's where Sarah ends up dying, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
Vayakom Avraham me'al penemeto, vaydaber el benechet lemor, and Avraham gets up from his deceased, and he speaks to the people of Chet, saying, now why is he speaking to the people of Chet? Because they are the, the, the owners, owners of, the of the land of Hebron. This piece is actually the first burial in the Torah. Yes, it teaches us. It's the first burial in the Torah, which is very interesting. So we have to look at it and, and understand that it's, it's the first it's time. Real burial, because before that, there was no, I don't even know if they were burying people. We, we don't know. I don't, I, I don't, this is the only time the Torah starts talking about burial. I, know, I think we brought this up in the past, but what would be the significance of the burial? You know, we, we were talking about yesterday, one of the main themes of the class yesterday was that the Avot, even without the Torah, were, were keeping the Torah. Yes. Or they were keeping... The halakha. They were keeping, not the even mitzvot. the halakha, they were keeping the purpose. They were, they were getting to the purpose of the mitzvot without even necessarily keeping all the mitzvot, you know, their way we keep them today. Right. right. So the fact that Abraham is burying his dead that's means that that's another thing. He also knows about burying his dead. Now, why put yourself in, in the mindset of Abraham, let's say Abraham the philosopher. What is the significance of burying your dead? Now, mind you, if you're in Canaan, you also know about the culture of Egypt. Correct. Right. So in the culture of Egypt, do they bury their dead? No, they, they don't bury their dead. They put them in the pyramid. So what would be the difference or what would be the comparison between, between the way the Egyptians deal with their dead and the way Abraham deals with his dead? The Egyptians, they said the dead is not dead. It's the Egyptians just... basically deny the death, yes. right? The dead is not dead. Yes. And the body is, is still alive. Yes. And we keep it alive to prove that the body is still alive. Or you could say even more like this, that the Egyptians they see the body of the person as the person's essence. Yes, not the... Uh, the body is the most significant part, yes. which means... The opposite of ours. Which means that the Egyptians, they put the body, maybe you could also say the bodily desires, as the most important thing. And for the person to survive, he needs the body. Because the body is the essence. The body is the most important thing. And that led into their, their belief that bodily pleasures are about more... Of utmost significance that this world is the only world right but we we bury our dead because we acknowledge that, that the body is actually nothing the body is just water. from the ground it just it's just earth so the body gets returned to the earth and the person lives on yes within a shama. and once there's death we don't deny that death has occurred because we're trying to cling to this world Abraham and therefore we are mature enough to realize that this world is not the essence. This isn't the, the real world. This isn't the ultimate world. This isn't the ultimate existence. It's just an introduction so to the next. We are able to, to put away the physical part of our nature and kind of say that now the soul is living in its purest state where it's divorced from the body. Right? So the, the idea of burial is a very, very deep one. It's very deep in that it's a, it's a subtle acknowledgement of the fact that we don't worship the body we don't think that the life is in the body. And we know that when the soul leaves the body, the body is pretty much useless at that point because up until now, it was just in service of the soul. Correct. When burying the deceased, we really make that point that the body is useless if there's no soul. The Egyptians, they did the opposite. They say okay. the, the soul is useless without the body. Yeah. And we, the Jews, say the body is useless without the soul. Totally opposite. Right? And then we put it back in the ground in acknowledgement of... of the original case. curse, yes, right? That that uh, that was said to Adam, 
Right? We're putting the body back in the ground, acknowledgement of the fact that, yes, we are made of earth, and that's where our bodies will return. Okay? So it's an acknowledgement of that very, very early, I wouldn't say curse, but early announcement of the Torah. Okay? So uh, he goes and he mourns for Sarah, and he cries over, he speaks to the people of Chet, and he says, I am a, a temporary dweller, yes. And, and a, a foreigner. And a foreigner, or I don't know, you could say ger v'toshav actually means, ger would mean someone who's there temporarily. Yeah. Toshav would mean someone who's there more permanently. Yes. Give me a portion of land, or give me a portion of uh, burial uh, with you, so that I can bury my deceased from before me. Okay? So that the... Interesting thing is Rashi catches on these words of Ger V'toshav. I'm going to close with this. And he says, Ger meretz acheret v'initiashavti imachem. He said, I am actually a, a, I'm not a citizen here. I'm from another country, but I dwell amongst you. And then the Midrash says, according to Rashi, Im tirtsu hareni ger. If you want to consider me a ger, then fine. V'im lav toshav. But if you don't want to treat me nicely, I'm going to upgrade myself to a Toshav. <laughs> which means, <laughs> Because technically, Borei Olam already promised me the land. land. Okay? Promised me the land. So if you want to be nice to me, then I'll, I'll be nice to you and I'll consider myself again and we could make this transaction yeah. and we could, I'll buy it from you as if it's your land. But if you're not going to be nice and you're not going to let me buy it, then I'm going to consider myself a Toshav. And I'm going to take, take the land whatever, by right. Now, now, what the Midrash is saying is, I don't know exactly what the point of the Midrash is, but it goes to the purpose, it, it goes to the, one of the main points of the story. And that if you notice, the story is very, very rich with detail. Mm-hmm. Who is the person he buys it from? Where exactly is the location? Yeah, How much money did he pay for it? Everything is, Everything is documented in, in, in almost an excess of detail. Why? Why is the story so rich it's, with detail? It's, it's teaching us how... Also, also, this is one of the proofs that, uh, that Israel... Because I think, this is, this is, I think one of the purposes of the story... One of the three proofs is this... I think, I think the documentation of it in so much detail is, is to really become proof of the fact that Am Yisrael lays claim to the land. Yes. And I think this is the, kind of the Midrash where, where Rashi is saying... If Abraham wanted, he could have made the claim that, uh, that God already, already promised him the land, which is true. And I think the reason he brings that up is because part of the whole purpose of the story is to emphasize how much we acquired, our forefathers acquired the land in a clean and, and uh, official and indisputable way. And that make, gives claim, to the land, claim of the land to us. That we also claim that this is our land. Because there's a direct link from Abraham to us, you know? And that ties into what we were saying before, that we have to buy places in Israel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bezor Hashem. Uh, there may be a program Wednesday night, probably here. Uh, so, Bezor Hashem, I'll keep people updated. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen. Zag Baruch.